0: Of the army and I fled today out of the army and he said what is there done my son and the messenger answered and said Israel is fled before the Philistines and there has and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people and thy two sons also Haphni and Phinehas are dead and the ark of God is taken and it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck brake." And he died, for he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. And his daughter-in-law Phinehas' wife was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, your word. Thank you for this passage. And pray that you would guide and direct Ben this morning as he brings a message to us. Thank you, Lord, for this day that has been set aside for fathers. Help us to uh, think of that and to do well in our role as fathers in the home, leaders in the family. And uh, thank you now for this service. I pray you would guide and direct and have your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May may be seated.
1: morning and greetings in Jesus name. It's a privilege to be with the people of God this morning. <clears throat> so the message title this morning is a very negative statement from this text in first Samuel, Ichabod, the departure of God's glory and favor. I think in all of the songs we sang this morning, uh, from the time we came out of the prayer room until the last song we sang, we it mentioned the glory of God in our singing. One of those phrases was um, Let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. Let the righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns. I wonder if we shouldn't think more of what is that glory that we say we want to give to God. Well, this is, this is Father's Day, and um, God has instruction from his word for each of us on how to relate to fathers. We all have one or had one. The idea of, or that call to honor, uh, the Hebrew definition of honor is you show esteem for. Uh, it's deserving of respect, attention or obedience. So we have, we have God uh, giving us a command, an expectation that obviously had been lacking here in the text Manny read. In the New Testament, we have this familiar verse. Children, obey your appearance in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So before we begin our uh, observation and study of Ichabod, I'd like to spend a bit of time thinking about God's command to honor earthly uh, fathers' mothers. Honor thy father and mother that it may be well with thee. I, I appreciate and um, I appreciate a country, a society that has taken this idea seriously enough that we actually have it on our calendars to have a Father's Day, a Mother's Day. I didn't study their origin of why our society thought it was good to recognize fathers or why they thought it was good to recognize uh, Mother's Day, but likely it had something to do with what God says here in his word honor thy father and mother I'm not sure I fully understand what all God has in mind or what all he promises us when he says that biblical honoring of parents follows with that thou mayest live long on the earth I'm not sure I understand that completely One thing sure though, it indicates that this godly honoring of parents results in a blessing that extends to us for a long time. It's something that we get and the idea is that it's going to be around for a long duration. Whatever it is, uh, it's something we want. Possibly the promise is not so much the length of life as it is a quality of life. I, I'm not sure. Maybe you'll have something to say about that. A quality of life that extends itself maybe for multiple generations. An extension of life, as we will observe from First Samuel, was cut short in this particular family's life. I have uh, one predominable uh, central point in this morning's message. I have some other few subpoints, but one um, kind of overarching point. And if you forget anything, everything else from uh, the points and the subpoints, points, I want you to take this one home, okay? This one is, One Honors Father. One honors Father most by honoring God first. You know, the, the candy bars and the new shirt, uh, cleaning and waxing Dad's truck, the, the nice cards with uh, loving, kind words on them, they're really nice gestures and, and gifts, something we really appreciate. Something that you can express your love and honor through that we can express our, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a son also. But I think you'll agree with me that godly fathers will be most honored by sons and daughters who are serious about obeying and loving God, having him first. First of all, obeying our heavenly father loving the ways of God." That's going to honor dad the most. So after I had um, kind of typed out this uh, overall uh, theme and point here, I was reminded that there's you know, there's, there's men and women in this audience who have made decisions that have deeply disappointed their earthly fathers. And I I just want to have this morning message encourage and challenge us. If your decision, if that decision was made because you first of all love God, and you are and yet are today serious and you're committed to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I would like to think that the initial disappointment from an earthly father is decreasing. That it has today decreased rather than otherwise. I think this will especially be true if you, number one, have a father who is a godly man. And he's honoring his father, his heavenly father. And secondly, if your dad can visibly see a continued genuine desire of loving God in the decisions that you've made most dads in fact I'm going to go say it to so far say all godly dads will be deeply appreciative of that they see their son they see their daughter loving God with all their heart i think all godly dads will be deeply appreciative of that It behooves us to do some evaluations and ask us and ask some honest, take an honest look at ourselves. Does my dad really love God? And does he know that I really love God? Can he see it? Allow me to share a a brief personal experience. So I had firsthand experience as a young lad growing up in a home where my parents made a decision, a, a, a specific, a, yeah, a particular decision that greatly disappointed my grandparents, especially my mom's parents. Russ Doughty was an Amish bishop and uh, so one day when I was, I don't know, I was probably somewhere around eight or ten years old. I found a letter that Crustody had written to my mother. I'm pretty sure I wasn't supposed to find this letter, let alone read it. Mom likely thought she had hidden it well enough that none of us children would ever find it. But the letter was written. It had come on the heels of the death of my youngest brother, who had passed away suddenly at the age of three month old. And I don't, today, I don't recall just much of the content of the letter. I do remember, however, reading and understanding enough that Grustoddy implied in the letter that um, my parents be implied to mom in that letter that my parents' decision against his preference would have had something to do with God choosing to take their 3 3-month-old son. It was It was a number of years later, before I I realized how painful that had to be for mom and dad, for that matter. But in spite of that memory that I had when I was, you know, just a youngster, I testified this morning that I was privileged to grow up in a home, where honoring Mom and Dad was taught and lived, in spite of significant disappointment, not seeing things exactly the way they yeah, exactly the same. In spite of significant differences, I grew up in a home where honoring parents was extremely important. One of the ways that I found my parents doing this and is we would visit Grestaudi's often. There, are, there's, there's 10 of us siblings, 10 of, uh, you know, I have nine brothers and sisters and uh, we had many, many visits with Grostotis, as I was, you know, from that time when I read that letter, until they passed away. And so as we, as my siblings, as we got married and had families, uh, we often would go as a tribe to visit Grostotis. And the number of people living or sitting in their living room and in their family room was, was a crowd. My dad would call us on Sunday afternoon after church, and he said, "We're going to go visit Rustodies this evening." And most of us, if we didn't have church or something else, we'd say, "Well, we're coming too." As the years progressed, one of the po- one of the focal points of those visits was for our family to sing together. We'd. Usually, you know, gather in the family room, living room there, and we visit for a little bit, and then after a bit, Crust thought he would say, it's not sight for singing. It's now time to sing, and so sing we would. So I I have these um, gratifying, distinct memories of Grustoddy leaning back in his chair, closing his eyes, clearly loving and appreciating those 20 or 30 minutes we would sing together. He would hear his posterity sing. He, he, didn't, he didn't help sing much. Um, he didn't know most of the songs we sang. He had, he had one selection that he would always ask us to sing again, and that was uh, Springtime in Heaven, and we sang that one every time, I think. You know, but there's no question in my mind as those years unfolded, as a young lad up until adulthood that most, if not all, of the disappointment in those initial decisions my parents made had largely dissipated. So I repeat, if you made if you did choose, made a decision against your parents' preferences and wishes, and you did so because you first of all love God. And you are yet today passionate about following God, loving him with all your heart, I venture to guess that you and your children may be able to look forward to something of the same. If, however, our choices have taken us further away from God and his commands, I propose to us that it's time for some repentance and amendment of life. One honors father most by honoring God first. As I uh, prepared this Father's Day message and observed um, uh, what First Samuel has in these first four chapters with Father's Day in mind, I was pretty far into the, into the preparations when all of a sudden it dawned on me, you know, I think this, Father's Day message may be more focused on men my age and older. Grandfathers, senior church leaders, patriarchs. Now I know there's many of you that are yet young and grandfathering seems like a long way down the pike. But it's important for you to remember that you won't always be young. Jonathan says you won't be young long. How you live today, especially how you train and influence your children today, will significantly impact your experience when you're as old as priest Eli was in our text. He was 90. There wasn't much life left for him anymore. Ichabod as he arrives on the scene. This had to be one of the darkest periods in Israel's history. And we're given by God here in these chapters a dismal narrative of a father. It's really a sad commentary. A story of a father that chose to make decisions that he knew were displeasing to God. The name Ichabod is found in two places in the Bible. We have it here in 1 Samuel chapter 4. It's again his name, he again appears in chapter 14, I think it's in verse 3. And the text reads it there in such a way that Ichabod may have been active in the priesthood under the reign of King Saul. At least some cousins were, maybe some brothers. Ichabod was the son of Phinehas. I, I keep saying Phineas, and so if you'll say, if you hear me say that, it, I think Manny pronounced, pronounced it right, Phinehas. So Ichabod was the grandson of Eli. Eli had two wayward sons, Phinehas and Hophni. <clears throat> the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 12, that these two men were sons of Belial. It gives a definition of Belial. It says they knew not the Lord. And yet, even while being sons of Belial and living very wickedly, not knowing the Lord, we find them here serving in the priesthood under the leadership of their father. I'd like for us, I'm going to put the verses, the text up in the, Overhead also, but the, the font might be a little small, but we're going to read a section in chapter 2 and also in chapter, later on in chapter, same chapter, to give us context of these two sons. First Samuel 2, starting in verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were, of, were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord, and the priest's custom with the people was, that when any man offered sacrifice the priest's servants came while the flesh was in seething, with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the flesh had brought, all that the flesh hook brought up the priest took for himself. So did they in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servants came and said to the man that had sacrificed, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desires, then he would answer him, nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. The flesh hook in the center is likely similar to what Hophni and Phinehas used when they extracted meat for themselves from the offering. They went for choice cuts with fat on them They had been instructed to burn off the fat and not take this meat. The way I read the text, they weren't supposed to take this this meat until after the fat had been burned off. But they, they said, no, we won't have sodden flesh. We want it before you burn the fat off. And if anyone reprimanded them for doing it, they used force to get their way. And thus the people began to abhor and despise coming for sacrifice, because of these men's actions and activities. So you have wicked men serving in the priesthood. A bit bit further on in chapter two, we read that Hophni and Phinehas were practicing sexual immorality in the temple court with the women that came to worship. Again, it's obvious that dad knew what was going on here. And to his credit, he reprimands them. He rebukes them for it. But they obviously continue serving in the priesthood, what appears to be under his watch. Let's read some more of the narrative. Chapter two, verse 27. A man of God visits Eli, foretelling him of the tragedy that Manny read in the text later on. 1 Samuel 22, verse 27, And there came a man of God unto Eli, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar?" To burn incense, to wear an ephod before me, and did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by the fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore, kick. Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourself fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me, for them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house that there shall not be an old man in thine house. And thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation in all the wealth which God shall give Israel, and there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. And the man of thine, whom I shall not cut off from mine altar, shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thine heart, and all the increase of thine house shall die in the flower of their age." And this shall be a sign unto thee that thou that shall come upon thy two sons of Hophni and Phinehas in one day they shall both they shall die, both of them. So now, in today's text that Manny read, the prophetic words become reality. Grandfather Eli, upon hearing the death of his sons and the ark being stolen by the Philistines, fell backward off of his seat that he was sitting in at the city gate there. He broke his neck and died. Immediately following that, Phinehah's pregnant wife went into labor and bore a son. And she named the child Ichabod saying, the glory hath departed from Israel. I feel sorry for this little boy. He was given this name because the ark of God had been captured and because of the death of his father-in-law Eli and her husband Phinehas and her brother-in-law Hufni. They all die within hours of each other. The word Ichabod literally means inglorious or there is no glory. And in her pain, in her despair, this woman who is all named in Scripture, lamenting over her tremendous loss, she names her son Ichabod. The text uh, clearly indicates she died also. Ichabod, an orphan. The departure of God's glory and favor. Something we so badly need and want. The glory of God is used to describe God's favor and blessing to his people. In the Old Testament, God's glory was seen in a pillar of fire. And a cloud that preceded Preceded the Israelites as they were journeying from Egypt to Canaan. During their time of exodus, it was a guiding and guarding presence of God. Once the Ark of Covenant had found a more, um, more a a place that was they weren't traveling on, more permanent place. They placed it in the tabernacle and later in the temple in Jerusalem. God's glory always resided there as a symbol of his presence among the people. But in today's text, when the ark was captured by the Philistines, the glory departed. Ichabod became reality. So, our takeaway from this story for Father's Day, especially older men, grandparents, senior leaders, patriarchs. In my assessment, Eli chose not to restrain his sons for two primary reasons. We just read God telling us in chapter 2, verse 29, that he was honoring his sons above God. Relationship with his sons was more important to him than relationship with his heavenly father, with his almighty God. To remove his sons from the priesthood was apparently more than he was willing to pay. Dads, fathers, grandfathers, we need to sit up here and take a good hard look, especially when we're inclined to make concessions due to the sake of relationship. Certainly, we all want good relationships with our children, but it's never, ever worth the cost of dishonoring God. Never, ever. If the glory departs because we compromised For the sake of relationship, we will lose on both fronts. This truth is illustrated in this sad story. Eli lost more than his relationship with his sons in the priesthood. They were killed. The worst part is he lost favor with God. The glory departed. The ark was taken. God no longer was dwelling with them. He lost on multiple fronts. I'm suggesting there was a second reason that Eli didn't deal with his wicked sons. Physical appetites were at stake. Appetites were being appeased and indulged in against God's directive. Now, Eli's sons apparently, as you read the text, they apparently love the, the, the fat on these choice uh, pieces of meat that God had instructed them to, to burn off before they got their uh, part. But it appears like Eli may have been enjoying, enjoying these, uh, these steaks also. God chides him for kicking against his commands in verse 29 to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offering of Israel, my people. Again, just, just note the extension of loss for Father Eli. He lost so much more than the little bit of meat he enjoyed. He had multiple deaths in his family and the departure of glory. I suggest also there is a reason the Bible notes that when he fell to his death, chapter four, verse 18, it specifically says he was heavy. Now God didn't just, I don't think that was a random note by God. I'm a bit heavier than I'd like to be, okay? What are we doing about our physical appetites today? I'm not just talking about uh, appetites that, that get uh, when we eat. Are we also appeasing fleshly appetites versus serious about honoring God? Are we spiritually hungering and thirsting after righteousness? So let the glory let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. Let the righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns are we spiritually hungering and thirsting after righteousness or is it mostly the carnal appetites that get appeased and get our time and attention I'm also suggesting that there is significance in the words end of verse 18 had judged Israel 40 years. Eli judged Israel 40 years. 40 years seems to be a significant number in for many of God's men leading, judging and speaking to his people in the Old Testament. 40 years. Uh, Moses actually had 40 stints of this, uh, 40. He had three stints of 40, 120 years. But you have this This word 40 comes up over and over again. King Saul reigned 40 years. David and his son Solomon, I think each had uh, a kingship for 40 years. And God also numerous times points out that the people of God had 40 years of rest under certain leaders. A leader having 40 years of influence can effectively impact two full generations. Priest Eli had 40 years of opportunity to be a spokesman for the glory of God. And while he likely wasn't the only one at fault for the arrival of Ichabod, it's not difficult to see that he had significant ability and capacity to affect. Forty years of opportunity. It's Father's Day. It occurs to me this morning that likely there may not be too many opportunities to preach on Father's Day while Jonathan is here before us, sitting here in the audience. And so this morning, Dad, I publicly thank you. and bestow honor toward you for your 40 years of judging at Peckway. I didn't do the math, and so I'm not sure how the 40 years fit into this, this uh, illustration. But you've definitely impacted two full generations. I'm deeply grateful and, and indebted to you on a number of fronts. First of all, for fathering and parenting Regina, uh, being an example for us in raising our children. After we were about halfway finished raising our family, I don't know if you ever got it halfway finished, but I, I thought about it, you know, I think I'm finding ourselves parenting much in the same way my parents parented us. And so if, you're going to your, if you want your children's parents, how does he say, if you want your children's parenting to be done biblically, you better think about how you parent them because you're probably gonna do it a lot like mom and dad did it when you get the chance, the opportunity, the responsibility. So dad, I thank you for helping us and giving us a good example. Thank you for your commitment to honor God first in church leadership. Thank you for your willingness to take the path less traveled. Many of your peers, many men in your generation, took a much easier path. Thank you for choosing a narrow path and calling us to walk it with you. Often, we watched you choose options that were less popular. We watched you sacrifice personal preference for the sake of honoring God first. Making decisions, encouraging church decisions. to first of all, think about what God says and how this will impact us down the road. thank you for your diligence to set things in order so that men following you did not inherit a train wreck. I keenly sensed your concern of that leading up to our most recent bishop ordination, I thank you. May our good God give you peace and joy as you reflect over those 40 years. Ichabod, by the grace of God, and the cooperation of you and others like you, I testify is not our condition or experience today. May God help us to never see its untimely birth. I'm confident that God will be faithful. The question is, will we be faithful to him? i close with this verse from Jesus in the New Testament. He says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So help us, God. Let's kneel and pray.